Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Isn't it glorious to serve Jesus? Hey, hey. <laughs> I just love the Lord. And last week, we looked at the restoration in our hearts and minds of Jesus as Melchizedek, the high priest of God. Amen. And I was so blessed by some of the things I heard because it was a readjustment. We know that Jesus is our high priest, but suddenly we saw it in a different light. He is of the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Mm, So that was wonderful. So I've only got two Sundays. So today is the restoration of the priesthood. And so that's you and me. Okay. But I'm doing it from a very practical uh, perspective. Okay. So, um, and when, when I hear of the way that people are just laying down their lives to get the room set up, it, you know, it always touches me, guys, because I know how much effort is required. And I know that that means that you guys get up at the crack of dawn to be here. We might get up at the crack of dawn to do other things, but they get up at the crack of dawn to come and to serve us by putting everything together. And just thank you to everybody. And Victor, thank you for driving that van. And it's not just that he drives the van, he then unpacks it, and then he packs it again, you know. And, and we are spoiled rotten, those of us who just pitch. Okay, so, and that's me too. No, I say we are spoiled rotten, okay. So, hallelujah. All right. So, we are talking consecration and the consecration of the priesthood. You know, there is an amazing scripture. It's Leviticus. It's the Old Testament, but it sums it up in one go, okay? And it says this, Leviticus 11 and verse 44, I am the Lord, your God. Now, you know, I am is the name, okay? The name above every name. So I am the Lord your God. And all the way through John's gospel, Jesus expounded that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. You know, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. Remember all those? Starts with I am, the name of God. And Jesus explained each of those areas. So he's in Leviticus 11 and verse 44, he says, I am the Lord your God, Consecrate yourselves, and therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You see, God wants to relate to us. If God is going to relate to us, it's got to be on the same plane. Because God is holy, we need to be holy. You see? So, now, in covenant terms, and we've got to speak covenant terms, guys, because Jesus cut the covenant for us, the new covenant. You see? And so... In covenant terms, basically God is going to cut covenant with people. Then that's going to be a diatheke covenant. That's the Greek word. Diatheke means two unequal partners, okay? Because God can't relate to us on that level, holiness to holiness. So he has to relate to us at that level. But he sent Jesus to cut covenant on our behalf. 
that Jesus can be the way, the truth, and the life to bring us to the Father through his blood, the blood of the new covenant, okay? When Pete and I got married, it was a theki covenant, two equal partners, although we could go into discussion about that. <laughs> but it was not a diatheki covenant. Do you know what I mean? It was a theki covenant, okay? Diatheki, whoa, seal of God stuff, approval of God stuff, Amen. And the first covenant that we saw in the Old Testament was the covenant that God cut with Noah, and then the covenant that God cut with Abram, you know, and, and then the covenant that God cut with Israel on Mount Sinai. And you see, that was where for the first time Jesus said in preparation for that covenant cutting, you know, I'm, I'm dodging around this big old projector, so I'm just going to wander, okay, so that I can see you guys every now and then. <laughs> I need to be taller. And... Um, but, you know, he said to them, he said to Moses, go and tell the people to prepare. And one of the intercessors during the week, and Abby just shared it with me over a, a, a text, said, you know, they, they, they picked up, the, I don't know which intercessor it was, but thank you for doing it, for that research. And, and in Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, we looked at that last week, this is just a catch up, okay? Uh, the Lord said to Israel, I want you to be um, kings and priests. I want you to be a kingdom of priests unto me. And um, that was the cutting of the first covenant. And it took them three days to get ready. See, because we're in the new covenant where Jesus has cut the covenant on our behalf, sometimes we're a little bit slack. We say, oh, I must get consecrated. Oh, Lord, I've just got to watch this TV program. But when it's finished, then I'm going to have a time with you. Do you know what I mean? And, and we are so slack. And, yeah, but... Now, I'm not calling you to religion. You know I hate religion, okay? I am not calling you to religion. I am saying to you, we are a priesthood. We need to be a consecrated priesthood. That's the difference. Amen. So we're going to look at some of the references, the terms. So Because Jesus, through his blood, has said, Lord, they are mine. You gave them to me. John 17 says that. And I've brought them to you. And, and now, because we've been brought through the blood of Jesus, guys, we are able to relate to God. Oh, God loves it. You know, he's made the way so that we can be wholly relating to um, the Lord. So let's look at some of the New Testament uh, terms. So in Hebrew, says me, and starts with the Hebrew. Okay, so the Hebrew term is for consecrate is mala yad neza. I'll just put them together. To confirm, to set apart, to fulfill, to complete, to be fenced. So that wasn't what it was to be a consecrated priest. That was what Aaron had to go through to be consecrated, set apart. If you look at the English dictionary term, it just picks it straight up. Set apart, declare, make sacred, to dedicate to service or goal. So that's interesting. Now we look at the next one, and that is to sanctify. Because, you know, sometimes these big words are in the scriptures, and we, we, we kind of get, we, we put a blank there. We use the word, but in our minds, it's a blank. And so now, sanctify, and that's kadash, or hagiatso. Guys, I'm, you can tell that I'm battling with the Hebrew pronunciation. I put little uh, triangle things, cappies, over each of the, um, the, the vowels, but I, I know that it means a longer A, but, you know, glossomy, I want the meaning, the English meaning, and it's be clean. 
ceremonially or morally, interesting, huh? To make holy, to purify, to hallow, to appoint. In other words, every time the word sanctify is used, that's what it's saying. Be made holy, be made separate. Okay? And there's the English um, dictionary to reserve for sacred use, to concentrate, to consecrate, to make holy, to purify. Isn't that interesting? So when we're talking about a consecrated priesthood, a consecrated New Testament believer priesthood, remember we said that last week, we're leaving the um, concept of tribal priesthood, only the Levitical tribe, only the Levites, you know, the genes, Levi, okay? That's Mr. Levi, okay? And he's come from that priesthood who were priests in the Old Testament. Now, guys, in the New Testament, we are all priests, amen? And so we need to be holy. We need to be uh, purified, okay? The Lord has appointed us. And then next is holy. And notice it's using the same word as sanctify. Kadesh, and then Hagios, to be clean, to make clean, sacred, blameless, consecrated. And there's the English version, which is to reserve for sacred use, to make holy, purify, set apart for the worship of a deity. Well, we know it's the worship of our God. We're monotheistic. We believe in God, who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is precious, isn't it? But you see, guys, we look at that and we think, well... Especially, you know, if we're not religious. (laughs) The religious ones might say, I'm holy, and I can just see my husband saying the holy water splashed around, you know, and that kind of thing. So, guys, we're we're not into that. Do you know what I mean? But we just look at this, and we think, is this really me that we're talking about here? But, guys, we are all believer priests. Amen. So, I want us to... I want us to start with that scripture, because I went and really looked it up in the, in the Greek this time around. I want us to start with um, Revelation 1, verses 5 to 6. I, I'm just so grateful, um, Dominic, for the fact that you whiz around to keep up uh, with the scriptures that I send out like bullets. So, 5 and 6. And you, you did, this is lovely, huh? Thank you, Lord, for this little um, number. Um, It's Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, where the Lord first says to Israel, I want you to be uh, a kingdom of priests. And then it's Revelation 1, verses 5 to 6. So it's easy to remember, you know, where he says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Okay? Ha! It's changed. Yay! (laughs) I think Dominic's done something to it. So we're not kings and priests. We are a kingdom of priests. And I have an amazing Bible. Pete and I bought it, oh, I don't know, 34, I don't know how many years ago. But guys, it's a New Testament Greek translation. So on the left-hand side, it's got the New King James. And on the right-hand side, it's got the Greek, the way the Greek is written. So underneath each of the Greek words, it's got the English translation. So I went and had a look at it specifically because I made such a palaver last week about, you know, King James is wrong. It's a kingdom of priests. It's not kings and priests because that's where men's pride starts to come into play. So um, we're a kingdom of priests. Who's the king? Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's our high priest. He's also king and lord of all. Amen. 
And there's so much that we can look at. But, you know, we're talking of the restoration of the priesthood, the restoration of the high priesthood, the restoration of believer priesthood. And so we're looking at it from a priestly angle here. And I just want that confirmed, guys. You know, I was sharing something with Bobby just before the service started. And she said something to me. And, and I said to her, the passion of my heart is that we as living stones in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would understand that we are humble servants. When we say we are priests, we are humble servants. I remember a man from um, uh, Gerald, I can't think of his surname now, uh, Gerald's pioneer group. Coates, Coates, that's right, thank you. Gerald Coates' group. He was a missionary in Hong Kong. And he said in the Hong Kong church, there are only two designations. So forget the titles. Just lay every title aside. And he said there are two designations. There is um, son of God and daughter of God. And that's it. That's it. So you see, it strips back hierarchy. Because people want to get hierarchy going. Because we're a competitive people, we we tend to want to get this hierarchy thing going where you're responsible to me and I'm responsible to that one. And and before we know where, we've got a pyramid. That's not godly, guys. Amen. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our king. He has established the fivefold ministry to serve him. He has established elders and deacons in the church that we may serve the church. Amen. And each of us is drawn into some aspect of service where God has gifted us. And, and, and some have got the gift of the gab. Well, I shouldn't say it like that, but some have got a gifting which is expressed through the mouth, okay? But some have got... <laughs> just blown it. Some have got a gifting that involves hearing, which is called counseling, if you've got the right word to bring to that person, you see? So it's just amazing, guys. Okay, but now I need to get into, the, into today. So now, well, we are in today. I just want to reassure you. And, um, you know, we, the, another beautiful scripture, and you know it so well. I didn't even put it up. Get, I don't know if they put it up on the screen last week. It was 1 Peter 2, verses 5 and 9, that we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. Amen. Amen. So you see, there we go. There it is. Look at it. We're being built up as living stones into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable and pleasing to God. See? So who, what are the priests going to be doing? Spiritual sacrifices. What did we see last week? We saw that in Hebrews 13, it said one of the major sacrifices is to bring praise to God. And, and, and where's Casey? Is she here? she here? She's there. She is. Casey, thank you for this morning because you just brought us into a position where the whole church was offering up spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. And that praise and that worship this morning was absolutely beautiful to be a part of. Amen. And then we saw that the next verse, the next scripture, oh, there it is. Dominic's done it again. Okay, sacrifice of praise, fruit of lips. And then verse 16 starts to talk to us about the fact that we also need to be giving him, um, you know, uh, look at that. Don't forget or neglect to do kindness and good. Now, that just sounds like general exhortation, you know. Be kind, be good, 
smile. <laughs> I'm being cheeky, but it's important, guys. It's important to be generous and distribute and contribute to the needy. There's giving to others, making sure that you hear what their need is. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And we discover that that doing good, that being kind, is a sacrifice unto God. Amazing, guys. Just amazing. You can get a whole new culture going on your particular pavement or street if you say good morning to everyone. Loads of people don't say good morning to you. Some people see you coming, they put their head down further, you know. Here comes that loud woman again. But others, you, they, they begin to enjoy the fact that they're going to see you coming down the path. And, you know, by the time that you get to them, they're already starting to practice smiling. And, you know, now, now it's, how are you? Yeah, have a good day. Yeah. Coming in with a punch any minute now. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Amen. <laughs> oh, but, you, you know, guys, I don't just do it because I'm trying to be an evangelist. I do it because I really care for people. And I see them coming toward me on a path, and you just see the burden. You see the grimace on the face. Sometimes you hear the swearing, you know. And you, and you just, guys, you've got to present Jesus to them. They're never going to find Jesus unless you are shining out the light of the Lord. So those are the sacrifices that we're speaking of, okay? Hallelujah. All right, so now, I want to bring, so now that was the really serious academic, theoretical, theological part of the message. We're now switching to a very practical bit because I've got to get you bunch together with me to be priests that are sanctified unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be consecrated unto the Lord, okay? Guys, I'm just saying, when, when the elders were praying before the meeting, I, I, was, I was just saying to Abby and, and, and Tina and Deji, when I think of where I have come from, when I know what I have been delivered of, guys, I stand here by the grace of the Lord, and day by day it's through the washing of his word. So if you think this is a self-righteous teaching going on here, please, my heart is for this church to know such freedom. And I've just remembered that David spoke to me quite sternly at the beginning of, um, I can't remember, I think it was when the money was being sent or something, uh, we, we were giving money, and he came and he said to me, Anne, today, when you preach, preach to London. And that's really interesting. That's a prophetic word from David. And so I immediately put it on a yellow sticky because I didn't dare forget, do you know what I mean? Preach to London. So guys, yes, we want the church to be consecrated. But Lord Jesus Christ, I speak it across this entire city that every born-again believer would become a consecrated priest unto you, bringing in the light of your kingdom. Amen. So thank you, David, because it's just lifted the whole, you know, sort of armory into the heavenlies. And that is just so important. Okay. So, guys, I want to take you to um, Lord Jesus. Um, he began to really push us into understanding what it was to be tripartite. So what do I mean by tripartite? I mean body, soul, and spirit. How did he start it? Now, you're going to know the scripture so well, you're going to think, should we be here? Yes, we should. So let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 1. 
And in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He came to Jesus and he starts by saying, Rabbi, you are a teacher from God. You know, he's sort of, now he was one of the 70 elders of Israel. So guys, he should have been a bit of a teacher as well. And he's actually saying, I know as a teacher of God that you are in a different realm. And so he says this to Jesus. And um, Jesus said to him, Jesus cut straight through it. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless you are born again in the spirit of God, you can't see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, verse 5, Truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So A, unless you're born again, you can't see with eyes of revelation, but B, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. See, so um, Jesus goes on, um, verse 7, don't be amazed that I say to you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And um, guys, I, I just... I just want to bring that to you because many times, if we look back on our lives before we are born again of the Spirit of God, we are actually in a situation where we are living by apartheid. We're living in the realm of the body, our flesh, you know, by which we operate, and we are living in the area of our soul, okay? But our spirit is kind of just like a sea of emptiness. Yes, sure, you know, our spirit man, definitely, that's where your conscience dwells. You know, that's where your creativity is, etc. But there's no um, acknowledgement that we have this vacuum that is called worship of God until we are born again. That just does not get actually triggered, you see? So it was Jesus who first brought that to us. Unless you're born again in the Spirit of God. Then I want us to go to Matthew 22 and verse, and you know the scripture so well, but I'm building a case here. So I just want you to uh, bear with me. And Matthew 22 and verse 37, we've got this young lawyer that comes to um, Lord Jesus and he, you know, he says, which is the greatest commandment of the law? In verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Mind, M-I-N-D. And then some scriptures add, and all your strength. Because this is a direct quote of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. It's actually quite an interesting scripture. Dominic, can we get that one up? Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Because basically what it's saying is um, exactly that. But the scripture in Deuteronomy is with all your mind and heart and your entire being. Okay, so that's not such a strong one. Mind, heart, entire being, and with all your might. So there's your, your fleshly might coming through. Can we just take it back to verse 4? This is the scripture that the whole... Um, I'm sure I read this once, uh, that the whole 
Israeli Defense Force lives on when they go into battle. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then it goes on to verse 5. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and entire being and with all your might. So they go into battle acknowledging God and saying, I will love the Lord in the midst of this battle with all of my being. Very interesting. And that's the scripture that Jesus quotes. So he's saying, we are tripartite. Now, here's my practical bit, okay? So when it comes to being tripartite, what do we consist of? So the first thing I want you to, I've got a series of circles here to represent. I'm a very graphic reasoner, so it's best for me to explain things with graphics, okay? But they're my graphics, so they're very simple, guys. (laughs) So man, a tripartite being, tri meaning three, three parts, nothing more serious than that. Whoa, look how pale yellow that is. Isn't that pretty? But that's our body, okay? So that's our flesh, okay? And many times we say our flesh is dominating. What does that mean? I'm tired. I want to go to bed. (laughs) I'm hungry. Where's the fridge? Okay, so that sort of thing. All right, then there is our soul. Now, what I'm wanting you to see is that I could have drawn... A, a division into three there, because your soul consists of your mind or your intellect, it consists of your emotions, and it consists of your will, your will, your ability to make decisions. Some people call it the volition, okay? Now, Gus, I did do Psycho 3, all right? So um, this is not just me um, bringing this out of my desire, okay? But um, I've taken it and I've honed it with the scriptures, and so it's an adaptation, Okay? So mind, emotions, and will, that's our soul. So do you see that if we're living on those two dimensions, only body and soul, that we are going to be allowing either our body to dominate or our mind or our will or our emotions. So people who've got a problem with a strong spirit of control, many times their will is ruling what their mind is showing them and what their emotions are actually, or you have somebody who's an emotional person. Now, everybody's got emotions. If you haven't got emotions, you're dead, really. But, you know, because that's one part of you missing kind of thing. But when emotions rule, then there's just this kind of, you know what I mean? Oh, my goodness. People are all over the place. If it's only your mind, then you are such a logical, objective person that, you know, there is no emotion in it, your will is even being driven by your mind. See, because these these three areas form our soul together, but I'm extracting them out as three separate bits because they are areas where we we sometimes have a bit of a challenge. So you needed to uh, see those. But then we have the spirit man. And you see, what I've done, done straight away is I've said, the spirit man, and what we're looking for is that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so, guys, we start with body, soul, and spirit, because that's usually how everybody puts it. But, but I want to reverse that, and I want to say, well, our focus should be the spirit man that is within us, because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. Amen. And if the Holy Spirit is given his full throneship within our lives, then it's going to mean that our soul and our body are influenced by our Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you are not feeding your spirit, 
your spirit is going to be swamped by what's going on in your mind, will, and emotions, or maybe even your body, church. You know, because our bodies are strong, huh? I don't mean strong. I, I mean a strong influencer, you see? So now you've got to make a decision. Which way is your direction? Is it going to be from the body to the soul? And when we talk the soul, is it going to be from your mind, your will, emotions to your spirit? Or is it going to be the other way around, the way we built it the second time, where we say, no, we want Jesus, Lord Holy Spirit, seated on the throne, enthroned, influencing what is happening in our mind, in our emotions, in our will. Influencing what is happening in our body. Some people try to, you know, like go to gym and do stuff. And, or they go on diet and they try to do stuff. So they're trying to get their body sorted. But the, how do they do it? They do it with their soul realm where they convince their mind that they've got to lose, I don't know, 70 pounds, or they've got to have muscles that are that measurement, or a six-pack. Oh, I better stand up straight for a few minutes. (laughs) So the body hears from the mind, the decision is we're going on diet. The decision is we're taking up a conscript at the gym. Emotions, oh, I'd rather be happier on the beach, or I'd, <laughs> I'd rather be happier having a large dessert of some description. You can imagine, you know, cherries and chocolate and ice cream and stuff like that. See, so you, you, you just kind of, you look at this stuff and you think, oh dear, yes, I can understand this. So I hope I've labored it. Okay, have I labored it enough? So I want to convince you. I brought in Jesus' case first. Do you notice that? Because it's what Jesus says that is always important to us because we are new covenant believers. The new covenant has been cut by Jesus on our behalf. Amen. It's the blood of Jesus, guys. It is the blood of Jesus that makes the difference in our lives. You know, the Lord Holy Spirit dwells within us because we acknowledge that the blood of Jesus washes us clean. Amen. 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 So it's the blood of Jesus. Amen. And then we need the anointing. Oh, I can't resist this. Where's the time? Okay. I can't resist this. I want you to look at the Old Testament priest a brief moment. Okay. Exodus 19. So this is where we have Uh, Aaron and his sons about to be consecrated. And so God has given Moses instructions and he gets them going. Sorry, guys, I'm just finding it. Okay. And so, you know, 28 verse 1 was bring near Aaron and his sons to ministers, priests to me, make holy garments. And he tells them about the garments. And then we get to chapter 29 and now the consecration of priests is on the go. And we've got the the ram of ordination. ordination. In other words, priests go through an ordination uh, process. Okay, so he says, um, verse 19, take the other ram, the ram of ordination, 
And Aaron and his sons lay their hands. Why? Because they are identifying fully with the ram. Okay. And uh, take some of the blood. Now look at verse 20. And take some of the blood and put it on Aaron's right ear and the lobes of his son's right ears, on the thumb of their right hands and on the toes of the right feet and sprinkle the rest of the blood around the altar. Then take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments. Can you see the amazing parallel going on here? The blood of Jesus is how believer priests are consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ and unto God. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit is joined together. Now, I shared that with you last week. We cannot have the outbreak of the Holy Spirit unless we have acknowledged what the power of the blood of Jesus is in the situation. Amen. And so that is critical. Okay. So now I want you to see some really interesting scriptures about body, soul, and spirit. Because I have to do this just before the major practical session, okay? And I want you to come first out to 1 Thessalonians 5. Because Jesus has told us to um, worship the Lord with all of our strength, with all of our soul, mind, with all of our spirit. Okay, whenever you read spirit, think heart, the heart of man, okay? Um, in, In terms of tripartite. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is greetings. You know, I love it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. Don't quench the spirit, don't devise, don't despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully. Look at verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So what I'm wanting you to see is that need for us to be sanctified fully, body, soul, and spirit. And this was Paul, just a casual greeting. No, not casual at all. A greeting at the end of his letter to the Thessalonian church who were going through incredible persecution because they believed in Jesus. And he just says to them, just be preserved, body, soul, and spirit. Amen? So Paul understood what Jesus Um, was going for. And then the next one I want you to look at, so come back a couple of um, letters to 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians 7, and and this is a scripture uh, that is really relevant to what we are looking at here, and it basically says, verse 1, therefore having these promises, which has gone in the chapter before, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, that's a straightforward scripture, okay? Don't be defiled. So body, soul, and spirit, don't be defiled, okay? Um, The word sanctify, the word, the phrase make holy. Can you see how that creeps in the moment that we start talking tripartite? Okay, and so that's more for you to digest. And then I I want you to come to a big one, and that's Ephesians 4. And I remember I was (laughs) I was a young Christian, but I wasn't. I mean, I'd been saved a good number of years. And a dear friend shared this with me. Now, I'm really talking back in 1976, I think, 76 or 77. And I mean, I had read Ephesians many times, guys, but I had not seen these three scriptures, these three verses. 
So verse 22, chapter 4, verse 22, um, verse 20 says, you didn't learn Christ in this way, but this is what you have learned. Verse 22, that in reverence to your former manner of self, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That verse 23 is critical. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is being created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See? Now, now, now guys, this is, uh, this is not the greatest. I've just been talking about telling your body that you're going to have a six-pack. <laughs> Exposure now. Sorry, guys. A couple of extra wrinkles and <laughs> and rolls here. But you see, what it's saying is this: if you, if this is you, the old you. Yes. If this is the old you. Now I haven't got a jacket, but I got a blouse. Okay. It says verse twenty-two. So let's get twenty-two up again on the board. Okay. Put off. Guys, we're putting off the old man. Do you see that it is, it's almost a physical thing. You are putting your will into action and saying, I am putting off the old man. Then it says, and be, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So how's that going to happen? Because your, the, the Holy Spirit living within your spirit man is informing, bringing revelation to your mind, so that it might be renewed. And then, and I should have a beautiful, white, gleaming, holy garment here. Not the sweaty old shirt. <laughs> Put on the new man. Thank you. Thank you. Put on the new man, created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, right. Let's put it on the right way. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really being a clown here. Okay. So, so 2 Corinthians 7 and then Ephesians 4. Pearls. Absolute pearls of wisdom. Okay. And I'm hoping that whatever hassle you've got that you're trying to get straight in your life, that you can be a consecrated priest unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That you're just thinking, okay, we're all in the same boat here. We've all got different areas, you know, and we need to be renewed. And then I want to bring Hebrews 4 to you. And that is just such a critical one. They're all critical, notice. Every time I bring one in, it's critical. So these four scriptures, you know, if I was counseling somebody, these four scriptures would come to life in terms of... Okay, so Hebrews 4, because... Whatever your challenge is, guys, whatever your problem is, how are you going to get released from it? Yes, through the Lord Jesus Christ, but how's it going to come practically? You've got to know the word. What is the word that sort of ministers right to the area where you have a challenge? You know? And so that's what you've got to find. Now, I know I've shared this with the church before. I had a real problem with anxiety. Therefore, the scripture that was that God gave me to use once I'd been delivered of anxiety was actually Philippians 4, verses 5 to 8. 
The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto the Lord. And the God of peace that, you know, accomplishes all things, I'm not quoting it directly, will minister into your heart. Yeah? It's just amazing, guys. I can quote most of that now because every time the enemy tries to bring anxiety against me, I bring that out. See, that's my weapon of warfare. The Lord is near. When I didn't know it off my heart, and I obviously need to do that again because I've just stumbled over that last bit there, I get the word out and I say, you know, into the heavenlies. I mean, in the old days, oh, in the old days, I used, sorry, guys. In the old days, I, I, I used to say, Satan, I want you to hear this. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. And I used to yell at the top of my voice because I just wanted to make sure that he heard. <laughs> Who was I really convincing, my spirit man? Okay. Enemy knows the scriptures. But we've got to know them. And we've got to apply them by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the anointing of God. You know what Isaiah 10 uh, verse 17 says. Do you know what it says? How does it start? <laughs> Come on, let's all go there. Isaiah 10, verse 27, not 17. So it will be in that day that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke will be removed from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. Isn't that just amazing, guys? Okay. So we're not going to do it in our own strength. You can't just do it with your mind. You can't just do it with a good, strong will. You can't just do it by putting your emotions down. You have got to do it in the strength of the anointing oil of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. So we haven't yet looked at Hebrews 4. So let's just go back to Hebrews 4 because I want to get that word established in our minds. And that is that it says there, and this is verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word judges. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. You're in safe hands. Because if it's Jesus doing the judging, you know that he's not allowing anything to come in that is going to harm you. He is allowing the division of spirit and of soul so that you would be able to rest assured that Jesus is after your best interests, which is freedom in him. Amen. So now I want us to look at the very practical way of doing that. Just, just before we go there, can we just have one last look, Dominic, at those three circles? So everything we've looked at so far has supported the theory no, not the theory, the, has supported really that word that Jesus brought, which said that we should worship the Lord, body, soul, and spirit, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our might. Amen. So that's what we're looking at. We've been looking at some other scriptures in the New Testament that are critical to our being able to walk in the freedom of the word and being able to see the word come to life. Um, in our lives. So now this was devised. The initial, so we're going to start with that um, um, cycle. Understanding the strategy of the enemy, and I should have a subheading there, and overcoming him, okay? 
And I, I first heard somebody speak this out. His name was Bob Mumford. Um, and, you know, he's just a man with amazing sense of humor. But he, while everybody's laughing, he just brings the words so clearly into uh, the situation. And, and, and he brought it, and then I needed to get it into a graphic. Do you know what I mean? So he shared it verbally in terms of the seed uh, being sown by the enemy, the snare of the enemy, the habit formed, and then you have a challenge. So I began to put it into a cycle. And so, guys, we start with the seed. The enemy has watched God. He has seen that what God has said is that there is seed time and harvest, Sow a seed and you will harvest. See, he's seen that. And Jesus shared the whole parable of the, um, the good seed. So in a heart that is good, that seed will bear a harvest. Um, 30, 60, 100 fold. But what the enemy does is he tries to introduce into our lives seed which is harmful. And many times we just grin and bear it. If you're an adult and seed comes at you, you're more able to deal with it because your will is more established. But because the enemy knows that, what he does is he tries to bring that in while you're a child. So hurts, rejection, misunderstandings. You know, we, we, we've heard all those stories of people being misjudged at school and having negative words sewn into their hearts. Because you see, it's sewn, it's sewn into them and guys, it starts in the mind, but remember how I said it can so easily influence what's in the spirit man. And so, you know, uh, uh, it's Psalm 64, where David said um, that, um, that the, 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 um, the words of the enemy has, have been as arrows that have caused bruises in his heart. I can't remember the exact words, but that is an incredible illustration that David gave us. And, and what we see in that instance is that if that seed has in any way caused a bruise in our hearts, then we're defensive in that area, okay? So we many times have to develop coping mechanisms to cope. Now, are those coping me mechanisms godly in Christ Jesus? I mean, I'm just going to open that, leave that lying in the, in, the, in, the, in the realm, you know? And so then we see that the next um, zone is that if the seed, now remember what Jesus spoke to us about in terms of righteous seed. If the seed fell on a path, very quickly it just got trampled, you know? And so the enemy doesn't want us to just have something happen to us and it be of no consequence. So what he does is he tries to bring back a similar experience. And so now he perpetrates the same seed, whether it's rejection or hurt or misunderstanding, could be anger towards somebody, you know? He tries to bring another. Sometimes it's from the same person. Sometimes it is actually from a different person. And so you would find that there would be situations, and particularly in sexual harassment, where a child has been um, wrongfully used by an older um, person, it doesn't mean an adult necessarily, but it could be that a little girl or boy of four or five gets abused by somebody who is 13 or 14. And, you know, that can happen once and it devastates and causes such incredible bruising. But if that 
foothold is established by the enemy through others bringing that same problem into the person's life, you find that the enemy is beginning to develop a snare. And has the bird's foot? No. So that is supposed to be a bird's foot, guy, the snare of the fowler, the bird being caught in the web, okay? But, but I, I want you to see that with that happening constantly in a person's life, it's almost like having a chain put around their ankles so that they become snared. And I, I want you to look at Psalm 91 because I use this scripture to illustrate this point again and again. We know Psalm 91 He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. I'll say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. But look at verse 3. It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Amen? So it's God. So what I'm wanting to see, even while I'm saying here's the snare of the enemy, I'm wanting you to see that there's a way out straight away. And that way out is through the Lord our God. Amen? And then, guys, if he can do that on a repeated basis, you see, now you think of, yucks, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little bit noise adverse at the moment. But when you go into various uh, public places, a lot of the children are really ratty at the minute. And it's probably the heat, you know, and, and so on. But now nobody's allowed to use Proverbs publicly. So you're not allowed to give them a whack on the bottom because there's only one place to give a whack, and that's on the bottom, you know. And, and, and um, big questions over that one. I could have lost half the congregation at this point. I better get you back. <laughs> Read Proverbs is all I want to say. And, um, but, um, you know, a little one will go, yeah, you know, and you just think, oh, how's the, how's the mother going to cope? And so the mother appeals. And, yeah, you know, it's just like, you can just see rebellion, you know? So you see seed, seed, and it's rebellion, okay? Now, if it gets away with that, and the only way you keep it quiet is give it an ice cream, give it some sugar, which is going to make it 10 times worse any minute from now, but, you know, <laughs> you, give them, you give them whatever they want, you know? It might just be attention. No, I can't walk one step further. And then the mom picks the child up and nearly gets its back. I mean, the mom nearly gets her back displaced in the process because the child is too heavy to pick up at that point. But just to stop the action that's going on. I was in Leeds sometime when I was training toward the end of last year or the beginning of this year. And it was a beautiful summary. So, well, maybe it was last year's summer or maybe it was the beginning of spring this year. But people were sitting outside of the restaurants and eating. And I was coming down this road and you could just hear the palaver going on. And it was a child who was so wound up that it was now outside of control. And so what the mom and the dad had done was they trying to ignore it, which is the best. You know, Zig Ziglar says that, you know, he, he remembers the situation where there was this child, you know, just going off. And the parents just walked away and left him. And he said the child eventually looked around, and nobody was really interested. And his mom and dad were over there. And so he got up a bit sheepishly, 
and he followed them. And he said, now, how do I know about that story? Because that was me. <laughs> so from Zig Ziglar's experience, we would say, just let them carry on, you know. Because you see, if you let them in, if you give in to a naughty, rebellious behavior, you are establishing a habit, okay? And so the snare becomes a habit. Now, I've got one in there where it's following on from hurt and rejection, which the enemy gains a foothold, and then a resentment starts to begin to develop in the life of that person because they get resentful toward the wrong treatment that they have had, okay? Guys, the next step is that if that is not dealt with, it starts to bring a stronghold in. From hurt and rejection, the resentment now begins to be bitterness and anger. And so everything the person does, they respond from a fountain of bitterness. And, you know, James says, how can you have sweet water and bitter water coming from the same heart? But, you know, it's just contamination, really. And off the back of that, you end up with a, um, a battlement that is developed. Now, that is supposed to be, that's not a, um, where are we today? It's Austria, where we're having the Formula One. That is not a Formula One track, okay? That is supposed to be the mind. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, within the mind, this is developing. The resentment, is a, the stronghold is developing in the mind, the bitterness, the anger. Not in the spirit. It's influencing the spirit, but it's happening in the mind and impacting the emotions because the person is responding, okay? And, and, it's, it, and then the responses from them, emotionally, in, in terms of their actual physical, begin to be anger. How many times don't we read of a situation where somebody has murdered someone and they can't remember the last couple of moments when they actually took the weapon, whatever it might have been, and hammered it over the other person. And as a result, I mean, Bob Mumford tells of a story where you've got two uh, deacons out in the car park and the one deacon goes up to the other one and says, "You you, you took my park. And I mean, we've had that on the M25 just in the last week. You know, you took my park. And, and a heated exchange, you see, and, and there could have been all of these hassles going on. And from the, the angry response, I mean, Bob Mumford has the one deacon picking up the jack in the boot of the car and hammering the other one over the head with it. And then you've got, you know, two deacons in the car park and one's murdered the other. I can't remember if he murdered him, but I think it was just an illustration. <laughs> Poor old deacons always get it, don't they? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. And so what we're saying is that there then becomes wrong responses. Now, we're trying to be consecrated priests. So many times it can be while you are actually um, having breaking of bread and communion that suddenly the most incredibly bizarre sexual thought will come through your mind. And you think, where did that come from? Probably the enemy. He is trying to get you distracted. He doesn't want you to be an efficient, holy, royal priesthood. He wants you to be bound by your flesh and by your mind and by your emotions and by your will. He doesn't want you to flow in the spirit of God. 
And so he will do anything to distract the process, guys. You see, I want to share with you that at any point along this path, that's the strategy of the enemy. At any point along that path, we are able to employ the word of God and trust God for the anointing to set us free. Sometimes when you realize what you've been through as a child and you suddenly discover that, my goodness, you've got room to be resentful, you've got room to be angry, it's at that point that we have to say, Lord, I choose to forgive. Amen. And so there's a three-way response, guys, and I will be quick. And the first one is in James and uh, chapter 4. And I would say that this response is where we, as believers, as believer priests, need to resist the devil. And so if you look at James and um, chapter 4, sorry, I've just lost James, there it is, and verse 7, it says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen. So there's none of this poor little old me, you know, guys, we've got to grow up. We've got to say, hold on, I'm going to take accountability for myself here. Amen. And so James 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to God, sorry, is the first part. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to God in your heart. Amen. And you will. Resist the devil with the word of God. Amen. Guys, when he knows that you are employing the word of God, he's going to back off. Amen. And so I, I, I want you to see that that is just a strong, strong way of operation. Now, I, I want to come to a verse in James chapter 1, verse 13. This is a practical verse. This is a verse by which I have lived my life. Because the enemy is forever trying to put thoughts into your mind. He does it on a constant basis, guys. You can be motoring along just thinking about something totally else, and the stray thought comes. And I've got big questions that I've still got um, before the Lord regarding what is the part of my own mind in this whole thing. Are there areas where I still need washing, you see? But many times, it's straight from the pit of hell, the, the thought that comes. You see, the devil can't read your mind. Only God is omniscient, okay? But the devil watches your reactions and your responses. So he will sow a seed a thought in your mind. And guys, look at what verse 13 says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, I want you to read into that practical understanding. So the moment that I have a thought come from the enemy that comes and sits on my mind, because if I meditate on that thought for five seconds, I've started to move into the wrong meditation. So you resist it. You see? Now, what do you do? Ah! Now, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you just simply immediately use the word or immediately begin to praise. And enter into worship. You see, the, the moment you start praising, you're going to end up in worship. The enemy hates that. And so if he tries to bring a thought and you are, and you, and you find yourself meditating on the thought, you know, and now you're in a state of, oh, 
God, I need to come and repent before you. Oh, Lord. Let's think of that thing. And, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's in communion and you've had a sexual thought come into your mind, you've lost the plot. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you think on it, if you think on it for five seconds, you now, you've forgotten why you're eating the bread and drinking the wine because you're so desperate about the fact that you've been thinking wrong thoughts about something that you saw on TV or, or whatever it might have been, something that you read. Oh, my goodness. Guys, what you do is you get that James 4, 7 going. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And, you do, and sometimes you just come back with the same scripture every time. You come back with the same. I mean, there are times where I just refuse to think the thought. I don't get a scripture up. I don't enter into praise, but I refuse to actually think about that thought. I just refuse it, blank, out. And when the, but when, I must admit, and that you have to do sometimes when you're in the middle of some secular work or secular activity and the devil brings a thought. But then when you are actually able to enter into praise or worship or a full-time study of the word of God for the next half an hour, the devil will not bring that thought back because who's getting the glory? Jesus. See? So we've got to see that these are practical ways that James, for example, has said to us we should operate. And we don't need anybody to come and agree with us, lay hands on us or anything else. We just simply use the word, resist the devil. Amen. Amen. Sword of the Spirit. So now here's another one. The next is the binding and the loosing one. So now let's have a quick look at Matthew chapter 18. And when we look at Matthew 18, you know, this is where Peter came to the Lord. And, um, you know, he says, you know, how many times, Lord? How many times, verse 21, does my brother have to sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? This is in a day, you know. And the Lord says, no, I say to you, seven, not seven times, 70 times seven. So the, the same brother can come and sin against you 77 times. And the Lord says, you just got to forgive them every time. There's hardly enough minutes in the day for you to be forgiving 77 times, for the guy to be sinning against you and you forgiving 77 times. So what's the Lord saying? Walk in forgiveness. That's what he's saying. You see, that, that, that's the spirit of what the Lord is saying here. Okay. But in the earlier part of the uh, chapter, it's talking about a brother sinning against you. And, um, you know, verse 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. So if you can go and sort it out one-to-one, that's the best. Because there's no strong relationship that comes out of that. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you. So by the mouth of one or two or three witnesses, every fact can be confirmed. Guys, do you know that that is every word can be confirmed? That is every rhema can be confirmed. Not logos, rhema. That is a real strong encouragement to all of us that every rhema can be confirmed. So you're taking it straight into the spiritual arena. It's amazing that, okay? And then if that doesn't work, uh, at verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Oh, that's, in other words, you know, as dirty rotters, dogs out in the street, okay? So that is amazing, And as a church, that's how we should be operating, you see. Now, don't let me get distracted. 
it's good for you to hear that. But let's move on to the next verse. And it says there, um, I say to you, verse 18, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful. Oh, now, guys, I can't read all those words from the Amplified. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say, if two of you agree on earth about anything that you ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Because wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in their midst. See, but verse 18 is the key. Whatever you bind on earth is bound. If you will not release forgiveness towards somebody, because that's why we had to read that first bit, you see. If you won't release somebody in forgiveness, you're binding them here on the earth, and they're bound in heaven. But if you loose them here upon the earth, they're loosed in heaven. So no matter what that person has perpetrated against you, loose them, guys. It's not worth it. Loose them. And remember that those, I had those little sort of like embattlements in the mind because people were hanging on to resentment and unforgiveness and hurts, you know? And, and what Lord Jesus is saying is, release them. Because if you release them here on the earth, guys, the enemy no longer has legal right to hold an embattlement or a fortress in your mind. It is absolutely removed by the blood of Jesus because you have chosen to put your trust in the blood of Jesus. Now, sometimes this is where you might need more than one person to stand with you because it might be something so great. And I know that um, in early years of revival, back in the 1981 uh, revival in Durban, there were people that were just getting delivered and set free. And, and there were just this huge... Um, um, altar call of, of uh, healing that was going on, and there was this one lovely young woman, and 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 she was just completely manifesting. And Pastor Fred, our um, senior pastor, said to Pete and Eric, two of the elders, just check for unforgiveness. And from this dear lady manifesting, screaming, etc., demonically. Pete said to her, who do you need to forgive? And guys, Pete would remember the name of the person. Let's say it was Toby, because I don't think we've got a Toby in the house, you know. Toby, I forgive you. Bah! Totally delivered, set free in a normal mind. You know, the burden lifted. Remember, remember Isaiah 20 verse 17? No, I don't. 10 verse 27. I got that around the wrong way, sorry. Okay. The the burden gets destroyed because of the anointing. Okay. And then finally, go back to chapter 10 and verse 1. And what we've, Matthew, chapter 10 and verse 1, and what we find Jesus saying to his disciples, he summoned them, and it says, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And when we read the equivalent account in Luke, we find, because the, the words just are slightly different. Remember, this is synoptic gospel, so they're very similar, but they remember different things. The different men remember different things as they record the life of Jesus and the things that he said. And so in chapter 10, it says um, the similar thing, the Lord appointed 70 others, sent them out in pairs to every city and place and said, the harvest is plentiful, okay? Okay. 
But if you look at verse 17, it then says, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, they were praying for people to be delivered of demonic strongholds and people were being delivered just like that. And they come back and they, whoa, you know, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, look, guys, just the most important issue is that your name is recorded in the book of life. You know, don't, don't get so power hungry about your authority over demons. Just remember that your name is recorded in the book of life. But then the Lord, it says, and I know I've shared this with the church before, but I can't resist it. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, and you have, for you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and refused, revealed them to infants. Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. So I'm opening this up to you. Okay, you are believer priests in this church. Remember what we said in response to David's word. We are trusting for every believer priest across London to come into an understanding of the power and the authority that the Lord has invested in us to minister unto him who is our you know, high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay? So it's a different functioning, guys. It's not me saying, oh, I wonder what my gift is. Oh, mutter, 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 mutter. It's a case of our saying, we are the redeemed. We are the blood-washed saints and priests of the Most High God. We are the ones who the Lord is investing his life into for us to go and to bring people into this kingdom where they also can be a kingdom of priests unto the Lord. Amen. So that's where I want to take you today. But you see, I can't leave it there. So I think we all need to stand, first of all. Okay? So I know last week the altar call was very different. And, um, but this is regular. <laughs> so I first got to check. You know, Jesus said you can't live by apartheid. You've got to live where you are born again of the Spirit of God. So, guys, first and foremost, is there anybody in this congregation who desires to commit their life to Jesus for the first time? And so, I know that you can always come and speak to me afterwards if there's anybody who's too shy, okay? I just simply, I should have said that, wanted you to raise your hand. I didn't want you to declare it to the heavenlies, except that just by raising your hand, you are, okay? The reason why I've got you all to stand is because I want you to commit to being believer priests, okay? I want you to commit to living a life consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to commit to being a holy priesthood a royal priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices that would give God's heart great delight. And I'm just going to ask you just to do that right now. I'm just going to give you maybe 30 seconds just to commit your way to the Lord. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 